Welcome to episode 34 of the Western Reserve here on AquaBearLegion.com. I'm your host, Brian Costco. This episode is all about Peter Lochner. Peter, the Cleveland musician, singer-songwriter, his untimely death in 1977, but before that he played in numerous bands including Rocket from the Tombs, Para Ubu, and as a solo performer and with a whole lot of other amazingly talented people. Also wrote for magazines and did a whole lot of stuff for the Cleveland music community. Smogvale Records out of Cleveland, Ohio put out an incredible, I mean just unbelievable package. 5LP or CD box set pretty much everything Peter ever did live recordings uh, actual you know studio recordings demos WMMS sessions and they were nice enough to kind of bring Aqua Bear into the fold to do an episode of not only interviews with some people and I'll get to that in a second but also get an opportunity to play a lot of stuff from this 5LP box set. So this episode's sponsor is Smogvale Records. Please go check out not only that Peter Lochner box set in LP or CD form. Uh, I believe they're doing a digital release as well soon but there's a ton of other great stuff on Smogvale as well. Smogvale.com since 1991 they've been releasing records mostly geared towards the Post Young, most of whom are ridiculous, bombastic, or otherwise underappreciated rock and roll from Northeastern Ohio. Check it out. They have a whole lot of great stuff on there, smogvale.com. In this episode, not only are you going to hear tons of music from Peter, you're going to hear interviews with Susan Schmidt Horning, who played music with Peter in the 70s, and not only is doing amazing stuff now as a professor at St. John's in New York, also made incredible music playing guitar and singing in rock bands in Northern Ohio in the 60s and 70s, including a really awesome all-girl rock band from the 60s. Susan and I talk about Peter some, play some music. And then after that, you're going to hear Andrew Russ, who's from right here in Athens, Ohio. Andrew's been a friend of the Aquabare Legion for a while, and he got involved with this project as a fan of Peter Lochner originally, but became kind of involved with gathering materials and everything from research to pulling things together and connecting people. And we talk about a whole lot of things throughout Peter's career, Cleveland, Ohio music, our favorite things going on in Ohio and much more. And we play music from throughout Peter's career, like I said, kind of 1972 to 1977 on this release. You'll hear stuff from his projects, uh, Cinderella Backstreet and Friction. I believe both of those containing Susan Schmidt Horning. You'll hear some stuff from Rocket from the Tombs, some solo stuff, some stuff from the original Wolverines, which was one of his first bands. It's really going to be an awesome show. So please stick around. Go check out smogvale.com. We're going to start off with some music before we get into the interview with Susan. This is the original Wolverines off of disc one. So back from 1972, Peter Lochner's band, the original Wolverines. This is the sidewalks of New York. Thanks for listening to the Western Reserve. Okay, this song is called Sidewalks of, <clears throat> yeah, Sidewalks of New York, and it's written to the tune of an old Jimmy Rogers song, which was called Waiting for a Train. And that song took place in Texas, but this song takes place in New York City, which is one of my favorite places on earth outside of this recording studio. <laughs> I 
summer The snow was pouring down My pocketbook was empty My heart was full of pain And if anything made any more sense to me I believe I'd go insane skating song if I ever heard oh, one. Oh, yeah. Pete. It's great. Roller skate. You say Jimmy Rogers? No, he didn't write that. I, 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 I ripped the tune off him. Oh, look at my hand. <laughs> That's what you get from playing guitar. Uh, no, I ripped that tune off a song that he wrote. And I don't know. The chorus is from an old song. And I don't know who wrote that. It's in the fake book, though. I think it was in a movie or something like that. It was a theme song. It's a beautiful a song. All right. I'm here with Susan Schmidt Horning, uh, of formerly of Akron, Ohio, now doing a whole lot of other stuff in New York City. And we are talking today on this entire episode of the Western Reserve all about Peter Lochner and this amazing five CD or LP box set that Smogvale Records has put out, collecting a whole bunch of his work, about 56 songs or so. And Susan, I wanted to ask you first off, how did you first come to meet Peter and begin to work with him? Uh, what I remember is that Pete came to this nightclub that Debbie and I were playing in a lounge band at. It was called The Ground Floor in um, somewhere in East Cleveland, Chagrin, I think. I just And Debbie says that she remembers him meeting us somewhere else prior to that and then coming to see us. But he was interested in working with us. He heard about us because he'd been playing, you know, for a number of years around the Cleveland-Akron area. And he, I guess, just felt like he wanted to work with us. So 
that's when we first met and we started um, shortly after that. We got another drummer, and, and I don't remember all the circumstances of when and how we sure. formed, but that's when we started working with Peter in what became Cinderella's Revenge. He had previously had a band called Cinderella Backstreet. Right. And I guess that fell apart. People left. And then so it was uh, Debbie, myself, Pete, and Eric Ritz was a drummer. Um, and so that was 1974. Uh, I think we met him maybe in December of 73. And so we started working with him in 74. Uh, and then, I like, again, I don't remember when that band broke up. But then we worked with Peter again in Friction. And that was the drummer, um, Anton Fear. And he then went by the name Tony Fear. Okay. That's a great name. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, uh, but it's V-I-E-R. So, that's it's amazing. F-E-A-R, V-I-E-R. <laughs> and, to, and yeah, Tony Anton has gone on to the Golden Palominos, and he's played with a number of people. He's really um, got a lot into jazz drumming, and he's, um, I guess, he's worked with a lot of different people over the years. That's amazing. One of, one of the things that we talked about earlier, I, I interviewed... Um, throughout this episode, Andrew Russ, who was involved with the project and is an Athenian here in Ohio. And we, we talked a lot about the background of the scene as it existed at that time. That's always a big interest of ours on this show. And there's a quote from Peter, I'll probably mangle it a little bit here, but basically that he wanted to do for Cleveland what Brian Wilson did for California and Lou Reed did for New York City. <laughs> Um, yeah, that sounds like a Peter quote. I've, I've heard that somewhere. I guess that's it was in the booklet, right? Yeah, yeah I think the it's in the, in the book. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious, you know, especially with your work with Poor Girls and doing such amazing stuff in Akron in the '60s and '70s music scene. Uh, you know, what was it like in that sort of underground music community in Northern Ohio at the time? Well, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of. There were a few of us. Um, I guess, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you don't really think about it, and memory is difficult, <laughs> especially the older you get. But, I mean, it was fun, and it was exciting. Um, we didn't, there weren't a lot of places to play. I mean, there was literally only a handful of them uh, in Akron. And we didn't, I don't think we played in Akron with Peter at all. I think that we only played gigs in, in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it was, um, I didn't, I didn't know everyone that Peter knew. I didn't, you know, I felt like we were sort of like um, kind of between Akron and Cleveland. Um, we had our own group of friends that we've met over the years. Some of the people that Peter had played with, like in Taruba, we only met them later. You know, you're just doing it. Um, you know, it's fun. We knew we were doing stuff that was like not, you know, um, the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Uh, listening to a lot of music that was coming out of England, that was, you know, like Kevin Ayers, um, uh, Rocky Music, uh, you know, T-Rex, a lot of these bands that we were inspired by, and of course David Bowie. Um, so, you know, we're still, you're still talking about top 40 radio is still being played, even though there's lot, obviously lots of college radio and mm -hmm. there's FM uh, stations, but, um, you know, there's, um, like, like I said, we were still playing in, like, lounge bands, wedding bands. That right. we were playing in this band. I don't remember the name of the band that we were playing with at the ground floor, but it was with a guy named Dave Budin, who's still in Cleveland, and he plays in various sort of music ensembles. And Jim Sakella, who was a terrific guitar player, who's gone on to be like a biochemist somewhere. Oh, wow. um, yeah. 
and um, another band we played in was called the City Slickers, which is like, you know, a saxophone, a trumpet, drummer, bass player, Debbie, uh, and I like sang and played tambourine. Oh, that sounds awesome. So this is the way you made a living as a musician in, sure. in northeastern Ohio in the 70s. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. It sounds really cool, though, the kind of range of all of those projects. Um, it, for you, being involved with, you know, a couple of the bands, being a member of that community and that scene at the time, and knowing Peter, what's the what's the most exciting thing for you about seeing this this box set come out and this music kind of uh, find it find a new life again? Oh, I just think it's terrific. I mean, I you know, I just, of course, I'm sure a lot of people wish this that Peter had lived to see this. He would be thrilled. I mean, you know, it, it, I never really understood or or knew a lot of the music he played and did prior to working with him. Mm-hmm. And of course, by the time we were working with him, he was on a downward spiral because of you know his drugs and drinking and you know it, it was it made it hard to work with him from time to time um he was incredibly talented but you know hearing this box set has been eye-opening for me um and ear-opening because i didn't realize so much of what he uh had done before that and clearly he had his you know he was a, a trained musician i mean self-trained but trained you know he, he was a good musician so kind of i mean i've been reading something i can't remember what i was looking at so i'm doing some research now that i'm actually teaching a history of rock and roll class so i'm kind of re revisiting a lot of the history of of music in the in the 20th century and um you know i'm thinking about how peter was actually a really good musician but he was kind of in that um that genre of punk, post-punk. I mean, I know Peru doesn't call themselves punk, but they're in that, I don't know what to call it. You know, I, I don't, I hate the categorization of music, but mm-hmm. to, to, to identify. And but Peter doesn't fit into that kind of the punk thing because he's he's actually a really good musician and, and a lot of the punk players were just not good musicians. They were, they had an attitude, they had a, a message, they had something, they had incredible energy, but not great musicians. I mean, I, I can't. I shouldn't say all of them, but um, a good many of them. Right. It wasn't it, a... there. You know, to be able to get into it because it's like three chords and you know, um, an attitude. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> a requirement necessarily. Right. Right. And it was. It was actually intentionally that way. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I'm doing this project on all girl rock bands, and I've, I mean, I've read a, a stuff about um, some of the punk girl bands like the Slits, and I read uh, uh, what's the name book, oh, Viv Albertine's book, and I, and I really enjoyed it, and I really didn't know much about the book, but she talks about how they didn't want to be good musicians, mm-hmm. and they didn't, that their effort was to kind of reject um, all the norms of music, and you know, I think Peter was somewhere in between that, because he was really good, but he also had all this energy and, and kind of that kind of punk spirit, you know? Yeah. Well, why don't you go ahead and introduce, if you don't mind, um, one of your so- favorite songs from the set or something uh, from Peter that we'll go ahead and play next here on the show. Okay. Well, well, I really love Prove It. I love playing it, and I love the song. And I'm, I'm glad it's on there. Even though it's not one of Peter's original songs, it was a television song, um, I still love it. All right. Well, let's go ahead and hear that. And thank you again, Susan. We appreciate it. No, you're welcome.
tell Mary she'd give her 22 and alls And then Billy was begging somebody to come home with him and ball And somebody else wrote their number down in an indecipherable scrawl And then the bartender hit the lights and shouted, last call for alcohol Well, you can come back tomorrow night and you Why don't, before we get into your involvement in this project, why don't you just tell me about yourself really quick and kind of, you know, where you're from, how you ended up in Athens? Uh, I was born in Athens. Easy enough. All right. First question <laughs> my, done. No, my parents are, are uh, <laughs> well, my father was a university professor. Okay. So, and um, I still work, I work at Ohio University as well. Nice. And I should mention, uh, as I the think family I, business, family <laughs> business, right? Company town. Uh, not that hard that well, if you spend well, enough time. Well, I'd Athens. say the Russ College of Engineering, but it's named after some other. Us. Right. Well, you know what? That's, I'd say take credit for it wherever it is due um, and when it's not due as well. So I've known you, Andrew, for years as an appreciator of music, person kind of involved in that, any, anything in any varying degrees, I often say, like, if I'm at something weird in Southeast Ohio, I usually can look up and you will be walking up or you're already in there, which is always a good sign, especially in a small town. And I know that you've always been an appreciator of of Peter's music and, and, and all things strange and underground in Ohio and elsewhere. How did you first encounter Lochner's music? Well, I guess the first, I, it was through Perubu. Um I went to Hoffa's when it was downstairs in the um basically as a freshman it would be around 1980 81 and um found the data panic in the year zero ep nice. which has i guess three of the four sides of the first two singles that peter's on um and that was kind of what i had and then um towards the end of my like my senior year the then owner of Hoffa's was Ron Esposito and uh -huh. he would let me order out of the rough trade catalog. And one of the things that was listed was the Peter Lochner LP on Cooley. And I was thinking, well, this guy, he's only on those first two singles. So I didn't order it <laughs> much to my <laughs> fairly eternal regret. Yeah, I was going to say how many times have probably been one of those ones you've thought about a couple times since then. Yeah, that, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a few things like that. Um, but then um, in the, mid eighties when I was in graduate school at the university of Maryland, a guy named Mike Heath, he was kind of a local fanzine writer and also worked in some of the local record stores was telling me about Peter and getting, um, he helped me get some, some tapes, my first tape of, of uh, rocket from the tombs, which I shared with, um, a guy, uh, Bill Brown and, uh, Dave Ulrich, who were, Dave Ulrich was a friend of my, or a former roommate of one of my pr present roommates. And he and uh, Bill were going to interview Perubu when they came to Buffalo in 1987 for their reunion tour. Okay. And uh, so we were kind of corresponding and I was sending this information. Um, I mean, there's besides the, uh, 
the rocket tape. There was a Perubu issue of Klee magazine. And I copied all the information out of that and passed it on to them. And the forced exposure single would come out and some things like that. And so I was kind of, uh, serving as a conduit of information for those guys. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I mean, it's just like anything else that we've, we've talked about on this show before, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, that sort of, you know, Midwestern underground music thing in general, that no matter where you at, it tends to lead to another path and another person and another band. And before you know it, you know, you're at something like mirrors or, or something further back. And you start to realize, I think the depth of not only all of the stuff that's out there, but in our case, and, and you know, we, you mentioned mirrors even we they're on this one of our new aquifer right. projects and it's sort of this idea of you know there's so much out there that is recorded to tape recorded uh live sessions recorded you know demos uh various versions of things that didn't end up on stuff for any band uh it's kind of incredible and it, to me as an archive a person that's interested in archival work something like this beautiful 5lp cd box set it's incredible because not only are you getting all of this music it's curated, it's organized. There's folks like you that have done liner notes. There's folks like Frank and them that you mentioned that, you know, 100 page, right? Beautiful hardcover book. So you get a chance to really be immersive, I think, in that physical media, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a forgotten it's art nowadays, but. About five, well, it's probably four hours, close to five hours of material on the on the uh, albums, um, which are, you know, and they're sort of themed even. Yes. Um, and then there's a book, and the book is really probably about half of it's Peter's writings, reviews of other artists, and so on. And even as someone, you know, so I grew up um, as the Todd who's involved with Aqua. We both grew up outside of Cleveland and Lorraine, and so it, it, it's a it's one of those things that even though they're different time periods, there's so much similarity of growing up in a place like that. Uh, no matter when you did, if you're an outcast or a person into weird things, it doesn't matter what time you necessarily were growing up in Cleveland you're able to, you know, I'm able to look at track lists and th- see things like sessions at WMMS and, and, you know, it, yeah. it's really cool to kind of see that whole, you know, sort of do the pullback view and see uh, how much of it is relatable to my own sort of upbringing and, and, you know, those touchstones too. Right. Uh, there's a, I think there is probably continuity there. Yeah. You know, and we're going to get to that too. That's something that. I really want to talk about. There's a great quote that they've been using um, of Peter's, um, in a lot of the promo material for this. And actually, I'll say it right now because I think it's a good thing to bring up for later on. He essentially said um, that he wanted to do for Cleveland what Brian Wilson did for California and what Lou Reed did for New York. <laughs> and um, I think he did in so many ways. It might have taken a little longer to get there. I mean, we didn't get the whole like surfing USA part of it right away, like the Beach Boys. But uh, I think in long term, and we'll talk about this more later, I think in the long term, it's it's a person who I think once you start going back and all these different strands of of Northern Ohio music, they all kind of lead back to Peter in one way or another, or people that he was involved in. You know, well, he probably knew just about everybody in the scene right. at the time, such as it was. Um, yeah, you're not gonna. <laughs> Jamie, well, Jamie Climick will tell you that there wasn't a scene at the time, and really, what what bands did to survive was to play covers, and yep. the ones that didn't, like Mirrors or Rocket from the Tombs, were. Um, kind of marginal yeah people didn't but, know what to make but of they it. still did you know they, they persisted and did did a few shows and organized some things and kept going i mean people like um you know the electric eels played five gigs but they rehearsed every day for for a few years at right. least and pi maya is the same way yep 
And then now here we are still talking about those bands and people know about those bands even this far on. So it's like sometimes you don't get your due necessarily when it happens, but sooner or later. Right, right, right. (laughs) And, and, And we're not talking about, you know, um, Bruno Whittington Bruno or whatever was yeah, whatever was big at the time whoever was packing those clubs I was going to say Superior left end but um <laughs> you know they, they do have their fans well before we keep going because we're going to talk about a whole lot of their stuff let's play some music I want to do uh, one block here of music do you want to start us off with something track one from disc two rock all and right. roll by uh, Cinderella Backstreet one of one of Peter's many bands all right we're here on the Western Reserve we'll be right back We'd like to thank all of you who uh, stayed through the through the threatening flood to catch our last night. Now, especially our roadies and, and friends, Pat and T, over there. This is a, a sad moment, friends. Uh, next song is kind of our what used to be our anthem. It's called Rock and Roll. It's about the music that uh, saved my life. I don't know about yours. I hope so. I hope it saved your life too. We have something in common then. Story about a little girl named Jenny in the early 50s. That's before they had uh, Watergate and uh, marijuana and uh, soapers and everything else. There was nothing to do except listen to music, dance. Didn't have to worry about peace demonstrations or anything. Yeah, I just had to worry about getting pregnant. Jenny didn't have to worry, she was only five years old. Rock and roll, rock and roll, they just don't know the sense 
So I'm here again with Andrew Russ. Andrew, of course, involved with this fantastic 5LP CD, uh, Peter Lochner box set. You can get it in either of those formats that Smogvale Records put on. Smogvale, our sponsor for this episode. And you can find out not only how to get your copy of that awesome box set, but everything else that they've done on smogvale.com. And Andrew, thanks again for joining us. Yep. And I, I guess somewhere in that set was the, a version of rock and roll by Cinderella Backstreet, perhaps 
um, the only band to cover the Velvet Underground with a Mellotron. There you go. I mean, that's an amazing feat in itself, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. got to well, get you in the book somewhere. It does give it some atmospherics. <laughs> and of course, we're going through Peter Lochner's music, and Cinderella Backstreet was one of his first bands, right? Fairly early. early it was on. 1973, mainly, mainly spring of 1973, and it was it was his glam band. How did you jump from someone who, I love this stuff, it's part of my interest, to, well, maybe I could be of help in, in putting this thing together? Um... Well, the short version was I was kind of invited, but there's a friendship that was involved to, to do that. Um, and the friendship was formed through trading live tapes. Um, there was, back in the net news days in the 1990s, there were news groups like, um, there's, a I guess, alt music bootlegs. And there was like a, there's one for Perubu and one for some other, you know, various other groups. And um, basically I met Nick Blakey through those, did a you know a, a long-term major trade that took uh -huh. a year or so to to finish and um we uh you know and he he was he's he had been obsessed with Lochner since you know he was a teenager really and at this point he had been he was a college student at Boston Uni or Northeastern University okay. and um but anyway he he then there's a couple things that happened. Um, we found another guy online who had some uh, lock. He had about 20 hours of Lochner tapes. Okay. And we found out about it, and he was he he gave us a list of them, um, what was on the tapes, but then decided he didn't want to trade them. <laughs> so it's, like, well, you it's, saw it's the, one of those, the Holy Grails in view to some degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, but if yeah. we had, and, and he wouldn't trade unless we had some more Lochner stuff he didn't have. Okay. But it's about 20 hours of material, which is probably the stash that was alluded to by Clinton Halen in the liner notes for Take the Guitar Player for a Ride, which was the previous Lochner compilation that came out in 1994. Um, so, but, but in the meantime, um, Nick had gone down to New York City and looked up Tim Wright in the phone book in Manhattan and basically spent an evening with him talking about Peter and Perubu and DNA, which... Um, Tim joined after he moved to New York and the No Wave Band. Um, and so I ended up calling Tim with this list of tapes and because we thought maybe these were tapes that he didn't have. And, and it turned out that Tim was the like the artistic executor of the Lochner estate. Okay. And he said that he had all the tapes. So we were that kind of settled that. And I wasn't so worried about trying about to finding get, something get, to try. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Um, yeah. But then later in 1999, I ran into another guy, Chris Hardgrove online, and he was, he had a couple of recordings and he was trying to put together, um, he was a DJ on WMBR in the Harvard radio station um, and a student at MIT. And Nick was still around Boston. So uh, Chris was wanting to do like one of their WM famous WMBR blowouts where they play everything by some artist. Okay. And he was wanting to do Lochner. Because he had gotten the Ann Arbor tapes and um, the original Wolverines WMS broadcast. That's a large part of it's on uh, first disc of the set. Mm -hmm. And so I put him in contact with Nick because Nick, you know, had had this other had some other Lochner material and um, had the contacts with Tim and and they worked together to put together. I think it was a four hour broadcast at that time. And then we also finally con convinced our uh, 
our other guy to, to lend the tapes that he had. So we got, that was kind of the beginning of the Peter Lochner tape archive that we were compiling. So how did it jump from that to, I mean, was that one of those things that, I mean, obviously everyone was interested in that. You all kept doing other things, but we're still right. on the hunt for those things and listening. Yeah. To them. On the hunt now and then. Yeah. And, um, Nick in particular was always looking for more information. So eventually in 2009, he calls up Frank. It's a, I guess to talk, about Lochner in some sense. And he ended up talking his way into being offered a job to write liner notes for a box set. Okay. So that's a good way so, to get things going. <laughs> and he, and he asked me and Chris to join him. Okay. What for you, before we play a little more music here, uh, what, what for you was something that you were surprised to uncover? You know, obviously you knew a lot about Lochner going into this project. Uh, but there was, of course, so much more that you were finding as you were digging through archives and talking to people. What was kind of one of the highlights of something that you didn't expect that surprised you a little bit that you found out about him? That that I found out about him? Um, maybe, maybe a little more. He he seemed to have a thing for for roots music, Appalachian and um, you know hillbilly or mm -hmm. string band or whatever. And that's mostly on you know you can see hear more more of that on the first album. Um, maybe maybe one of the more surprising things was he was covering Michael Hurley. Yeah, I saw in fact, Hurley he mentioned a, in the line. And he had a band that, called um, Blue Drivers. I was just listening. That's one of my favorite Michael Hurley songs, Blue Driver. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, I I don't think he covered that song. Um, you know, but he did cover uh, Biscuit Roller. That's awesome. And um, Eyes Eyes. Yeah. Which is on the first disc of this set. Well, let's go ahead and listen to that right now because I wanted to play that song here at some point. So let's kick off the next block here. You're going to hear a few more things from throughout the five CDs or five LPs, depending on what your persuasion is of this great Peter Lochner box set by Smog Yeah, and, and to let you know, this is from um, the original Wolverines, I believe, um, um, playing. Oh, no, sorry. This is uh, Peter with uh, Mike Sands playing the WMS Coffee Break concert in November of 1972. All right. So let's hear a little snock. This is Eyes, Eyes from WMS Session. We'll be back on the Western Reserve. Pete, what you gonna do for us? Uh, this is called Eyes, Eyes, which is self-explanatory. I'm still in tune after banging the Yeah. Protein monster. Ate a sack of poison sugar. Crawling out of the barn to the weeds to die Rolling his eyes 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 Mama molasses Broke my glasses and the moon came up And we wiggled our asses She's got red eyes Eyes, eyes. The werewolf rides, and everybody hides. He won't be scared when he dies. Look in his eyes, eyes, eyes. Marilyn Monroe pointed her toe Crawling out of the pool from the water so cool Camera flashes flashing back from her eyes 
eyes, eyes. Lawrence Ferlinghetti eating spaghetti with long, tall Sally and Salvador Dali. 20th century eyes, eyes, eyes. Smokey the bear standing there in front of a woods all black and bare, tears in his eyes, eyes, eyes. And she calls me a bum Sleeping through the day There was nothing I wanted to say I closed my eyes 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 Nice tune. I, don't, I won't ask the title of that because I think I know it, but I'm probably wrong. Yeah, okay. the next one I get is about eyes, too, and we don't want to get redundant. This is called Ain't It Fun When You're Gonna Die Young. It's dedicated to Jane Scott because she'll never die young. She'll be forever 16.
here on the Western Reserve, AquabearLegion.com, all things Peter Lochner this episode, and digging through all sorts of awesome music from this five CD, five LP box set that Smogvale Records put out. You can find out a lot more about what Smogvale does and about this release on their website, Smogvale.com. And to give everyone the quick kind of one-minute version Peter Lochner is known as the co-founder of sort of Cleveland's legendary Avant Garage. I love that term, band, Para Ubu, and is a significant member of the orig original member of Proto-Punk Trailblazers, Rocket from the Tombs. And uh, Lochner not only did those things, but in this very short period of time before his untimely death at the age of 24 in 1977, he did a whole lot of stuff, played with a lot of bands, played with a lot of projects, connected as we've been talking about here, because that's always one of my biggest interests too, is that sort of connection that people develop and those scenes that get created. And sort of became a pioneer for not only developing the Cleveland underground rock and roll scene, but also connecting people from outside of Cleveland uh, to that town and bringing them through. We talked earlier about, I honestly think it's just as important to be the guy that helps bring television to a place like Cleveland than, uh, yeah, you know, but I mean, it, it goes, it shows that his impact is beyond just creating some, some great music. Uh, 
And of course, yeah, he been, was he was essentially a journalist as well, and that's abundant evidence of that in the book that accompanies this box set. Yeah, I mean, there is this amazing hundred page book we talked about that earlier, but it's really something uh, to look through that you know has everything as Andrew mentioned from a ticket stub from that possibly from that television show all the way down to some reviews that Peter wrote for various publications and and people's memories and recollections and all sorts of great stuff. I mean, Peter wrote for Cream. You wrote for you mentioned Zeppelin earlier, Cleveland Plain Dealer, all sorts um, of stuff. Yeah, there was the Star and Exit were the other two major mm -hmm. publications he he wrote for. Um, he also wrote some poetry, but we didn't have space for that in the book. So, and it really is a huge thing, and we're going to get into that in a minute. This this project not only is it you know five CDs or LPs again, depending on what you want. It's fifty six tracks. And 25 bandmates and collaborators are, rep are represented. And, you know, that's like a lot for someone that has been playing music until, you know, they're 80 or something like that. And for somebody before the age of 24 to have such a breadth of material and, and different people, it's really impressive. And it's even more impressive given what we were talking about earlier, that this is not stuff that was readily available out and about, even for people that were digging for it. You mentioned yourself looking at Rough Trade Catalog. It was one LP of stuff that, right. you know. And, and it was put together by some people after he had died, about five years after he died, that they wanted to kind of commemorate some of the material that um, Peter had written. You know, and there, there were a few tapes that were circulating around and the people that knew Peter were kind of, keeping the tapes so that you know they definitely treasured what they had and um you know to some extent we were tracking down those people right finding those leads of those yeah, different yeah, people that yeah. had little bits and pieces of or things. yeah or for example in the case of cinderella backstreet you know some something if not the master tape of that show something very close to it so mm -hmm. the quality was much better than anything that had been circulating before what was the most fulfilling thing for you as someone that is a fan of this music about seeing this box set released? I know that's a broad question, but well, I mean, I think it's a, you know. Yeah, but, you know, for me, I guess it was the, the you know, I'd spent so long working on it. It was quite a, there's a sense of accomplishment of holding it in oh, your yeah. hands and knowing that, that, that I had contributed to it. Um, and, you know, knowing, seeing how much of it was, was there, you know, and, um, seeing elements in it that, that I had contributed, you know, how, how I had contributed to it. Maybe a song that I wanted was in there. Mm -hmm. And then um, my main contribution really was finding the articles that Peter had written for various magazines and some of the ads for the shows that, that are in the booklet. What was that process book. like? You mentioned going through it, go, being the guy in Ohio on the ground and being, well, able to first go I went to the OU library and looked mm -hmm. up flame dealer microfilm. And then I said, well, Crocus Behemoth was the columnist for Scene Magazine for a month or for a year and a half and yep. before uh, before he left and started Rocket from the Tombs. And um, so I decided to go to Cleveland and spend a week, you know, just go in the library and they had Scene Microfilm and just you know, see what was in those columns. And he actually wrote, co-wrote two columns. One was called uh, Crocobush, uh, which was him and Mark Kometsko, a.k.a. Bush, um, Often rambling, strange topics or whatever weird um, movies they were watching and that kind of thing. And then the other one was called "Making the Scene with Crockabush," which was focused on the local music scene. Okay. So there were tidbits about Peter in there, you know, about forming the the uh, Blue Drivers or another. There's another band called Airstream that got mentioned once. <laughs> um, and then one weekend week they had a, a 
uh, contest, raff, not raffling off, but trying to give away a copy of uh, There Goes Ryman Simon, and the winner was Peter Lochner. There you go. I mean, that's pretty... That's pretty awesome. I mean, yeah. and especially for you, I got to imagine there's moments you're pouring over that microfilm and digging through. You yeah. Know, and all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, there it is. Like there's yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then of course we knew Peter had from, from like Jane Scott's obituary, she'd mm-hmm. written, noted that Peter had written for exit and um, some other, some of these other magazines. And um, one of the librarians at um, the Cleveland public library, where which had the scene microfilm recommended that I, go talk to Bill Shirk at the Bowling Green State University Library. He kind of ran the music library and the sound archives for a long time. And um, he was originally from Cleveland, actually, too, but but left, like, in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. But he was a fan or devotee of all forms of music, particularly popular music, and they basically just collect whatever they can find, and they were collecting um, fanzines as well. Um, they have a nearly complete run of Cream magazine, so it was a good place to find those stories and letters that Peter had written. Um, it also turned out that Exit magazine was started by people that worked under Bill okay. in the 70s, um, and it lasted for um, a year and a half maybe in Bowling Green and then moved to, to Cleveland in the middle of 1974, and that's when Peter and some of the other local people joined up and it became more focused on Cleveland music and things. And when Peter started contributing his, his reviews and Craig Bell contributed some and um, Anastasia Pansios did some and just a whole, you know, a whole bunch of local people were contributing. So do you want to send us here to one more track, Andrew? Oh, let's see. We could do something that's maybe a little bit more contemplative or sure. something. We'll do, um, let's do track nine on disc three, First Taste of Heartache. First Taste of Heartache. Yeah, it's a very sad song. All right, that mix it up. We like to give a good range here. All right, we'll be back on the Western Reserve. Getting your first taste of heartache Just like they showed you in the movie shows I play the part Of the breaker of your heart And you play God only knows So you're getting your first taste of heartache Well tell me you I'll tell you you are gonna see a lot more Didn't you know you had it 
coming to you sometime Oh, you wouldn't have walked right in that door Getting your first taste of heartache Don't worry, you'll get over it like a cold Now don't complain You'll remain Anyway, those hard luck stories are so So you're getting your very first taste of heartbreak You can taste the bitter in your tears The first one's free And this one's on me You come to thank me In a couple of years Just like what you saw in a movie show I play the part of the breaker of your heart And you play God only knows And the part you play God only knows The part you play, you choose, and God only knows. This is called What Goes On in Your Mind.
All right, more Peter Lochner you just heard. I am here on the Western Reserve. I'm your host, Brian Costco, joined by Andrew Russ here uh, talking about Peter Lochner, rock from the tombs, old Cleveland rock and roll from the 70s of all sorts and types and the impact of all of that and celebrating this incredible box set put out by Smogvale Records. They are this episode sponsor. Go to smogvale.com. You can order that Lochner box set on CD or vinyl and it'll be streaming. I think digital I saw in January too, if that's, if that's still correct. Uh, I'm not sure if it's January, but I do know in 2020 yeah, we'll soon be doing at a some point, digital yeah. version. Yeah. And it's, as we, when playing tons of stuff throughout the episode, you're getting a great taste of it and overview. And of course, Andrew and I have been having all sorts of conversation about various parts of it, both working on it, the importance of the music, the kind of different things that are involved in it, that even in a short period Producing of time. It, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it only took us twice as long to put it out as it did for Peter to create all this that's stuff. That's not bad, you know? <laughs> that's really not bad. I mean, those are the kind of, I think in archival work, that's the kind of... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Twice as long is okay. I mean, it, and it is incredible. Again, you know, I, I feel like it's important to bring up one more time this amount of, of the, just the amount of different kind of work that he did in such a short period of time. What other Ohio music, Andrew? We This is what we talk about on this show. This show is dedicated to that. Obviously, we're playing a lot of Lochner here and talking about a lot of related projects. But for you personally, what is some of your favorite Ohio music, um, you know, large, small, in between um, from over the years? Oh, dear. Do we want to do we have a separate broadcast for that well we may, um, you know yeah we could go we, we could go back to it at I some mean, point i mean i can I, it's I mean, always the question like I, everyone always gets asked that question on here well, well i guess one thing i can do to some extent is, is plug some of these other smog bill yeah, releases some do. of which are please great do. because um like i said we talked to so many people that knew peter and they had their own tapes and their own stories and for example um alan ravenstein we found the 15 minute tape and synthesizer piece that uh, called terminal drive which earned him his spot in perubu um and we didn't even know, it was not even known if there was a complete copy. Um, High Maya was a kind of an improvised rock and roll project. Some pretty that, awesome stuff, yeah. It was kind of, a, yeah, it sounded like <laughs> a mix between, um, you know, either like King Crimson from 1972 or Tangerine Dream from 1972. Take your pick. Well, depending on the lineup. You know, the one lineup was was the a synthesizer duo of Robert Benzik with Alan Ravenstein, the future Perubu player. And. The other was more of a full band, including Scott Krause and drums and uh, some other local musicians like Albert Dennis and uh, so on. And <clears throat> French Pictures in London was a kind of a solo album by by uh, Robert that he recorded in 1974 or 75 when he had a kind of an artist development deal that fell through. But he had their so he had the album recorded but couldn't pay the studio bill. So he tried shopping around the tape and. Um, we sent it, you know, it got sent to a few people and ended up in someone's closet for 40 years until we came for it. <laughs> um, and a couple of blues albums that are kind of related to the Mr. Stress blues band. Mm -hmm. um, one in particular is from the early days of the band when um, um, Glenn Schwartz was the guitarist and he was also in the James Gang. 
Yeah, that Cleveland, that Northern Ohio rock and roll strand runs deep. Yeah, and and the Mr. Stress Blues Band album we put out maybe a like a month or two after he died, so it was like his last you know project that he contributed to. Yeah, and and you're mentioning also a lot of the, all of this is is Smogvale releases. Um, yeah, and and not in the same way of five LPs necessarily, but but they did not only an incredible job with, with repackaging this music and putting it out there, some of which, as you said, didn't exist in, right. in any fashion, but beautiful vinyl, beautiful records and all. Oh, and, they, and, and I'll mention they came with like 12 or 16 page books with uh, booklets with copious amounts of historical information and pictures and footnotes and yeah, for mostly written by Nick Blakey. Yeah. For people like me, whose obsessions are, you know, music and history yeah. and, the, and depending on what order on what day of the week, those kind of things are endless. I could, I could look through that stuff and talk about that stuff forever. Uh, and it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, all of those things, if you love what we play on the show, if you like the Lochner stuff, if you, if Para Ubu or Rocket from the Tombs or Electric Eels or whatever it might be is your intro to this universe, I cannot suggest enough just going on Smogvale's site and combing through that and picking a few things. Yeah. It, you're, you're not going to go wrong. There's it, it, whatever you get's going to be interesting. And it's probably like, as you said, going to open up other worlds of, you're going to look through these books. You're going to listen to music, realize other people have played on these records that all have other <laughs> bands and other things. And then you can go down the rabbit hole. That well, there's all, been yeah. And, and, and Smogvale's done a whole bunch of um, sort of archival like punk related mm -hmm. things that I had nothing to do with, such as the guns double yep. album, um, which I, I think I saw them in um, some apartment above where the Athens news is, was located um, in 1984 in the spring of 1984 after spring fest. Okay. It was the, the dark, the guns um, skull and um, um, great plains. With Ron Howe. Great Plains also on that. Skull, though, you, you, Skull may be of, of some interest because they became Scrawl. Okay. You know, this is when they were based in Athens. Uh huh. That's awesome. Because um, um, we got to do a whole separate show about Athens 1984, probably. <laughs> I have the flyer. Well, we can't show it on the radio. No, we but. can't, but we can we can include it with the uh, blog post or something or in the extra images. <laughs> I could send you a scan. Yeah, I think it appeared. There's a, a um, Cretan Cretans of Distortion magazine mm -hmm. did a whole thing on Ohio his, punk history of sorts. It was, I mean, it's a fairly brief magazine. It was like maybe. 15, 16 or 20 pages of 11 by 17 staple, but awesome. with a lot of little photographs and things. And one of them is of that flyer. That's amazing. That's so cool. Well, before we wrap up, I mean, we're going to go to one more um, thing of music, which we'll introduce here in a minute. Uh, what Andrew, I know this is a, this is a big question, but, but I think you'll kind of know where I'm getting new with it. You know, we sit here, this is stuff that we geek out about. This is stuff that this podcast is designed to do and put out in the world. But but in a bigger way than that, why do you think this music and specifically Lochner's music and his legacy is so important? Well, I mean, part of it is, as we've been discussing, is his connection to, uh, you know, the rest of the scene and other people. Um I like to compare him sometimes to D.A. Levy, the poet from the 1960s, who uh, some of Peter's friends actually knew him. Um, and there's some discussion of him in the, in the notes that come with the Mr. Stress Blues Band album. But D.A. Levy was, uh, again, he, he, he was, 
he really got into poetry and then he started publishing poetry and then he started publishing other poets and promoting them and became kind of a real activist for the scene, bringing in, trying to bring in people from outside and, um, you know, and, and then he kind of became a target of police mainly because of his advocacy for marijuana and, uh, particularly at a time when people could be very conservative and, um, you know, he basically that maybe drove him to, to kill himself at an early age, but um, but he was all about networking and developing the uh, a scene, you know, an appreciation for poetry, and um, you know, much the way that Peter was kind of trying to do for New York for mm -hmm. uh, for music in the next the next uh, set decade. Yeah, it's amazing to go through this, and like I said, I've brought it up a couple of times in sort of you to see the sort of directions and veins in which this all goes. And as someone, a kid myself, you know, who grew up in Lorain, Ohio and grew up going to shows in Cleveland and listening to WMMS and going to record stores in the, in those places. And, yeah, well, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I don't know what my world, I don't think my world would have looked at all how it looked had someone like Peter Lochner not existed. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, and Peter himself, he used to hang out at WMMS a lot. Um, one, one of the stories that we have, and I don't know if it's in here, but, um, Apparently Lou Reed came to town um, and Peter and Lou Reed kind of knew each other some because Peter kept showing up at Velvet Underground shows with Jamie Klimek. Um, You know, they would meet up there and, and watch the show and then talk to, to Lou after the, you know, after the show was over and so on. Um, but in 1972, he came by and I guess he was going to play some songs on the air, but didn't have a guitar. So somebody called Peter and he came right over with his guitar and, kind of stood sat there in the corner while Lou uh, played a few songs and <laughs> man I wish I could, you know that's the kind of phone call you hope to get at some point. yeah well yeah and I, <laughs> I, I you kind of hope there's a tape of it somewhere too, yeah but, but I really don't know um I mean I, the sad story I heard was that um WMS eventually got sold to a large conglomeration I think clear channel mm -hmm. and at one point they just cleared out their tape vault and uh some of the former WMS DJs were like picking the tapes out of the dumpster and then who knows how many of them they saved right or found even they're probably, I mean, yeah. Well, Jeez. I saw one of them, um, cause it was at my mind's eye and, um, he, the Charles there had mm -hmm. lent it to Jamie Klimek and Jamie, Jamie had kind of, it was a Mott the Hoople recording and Jamie kind of scribbled some of his critical comments on the box. <laughs> Well, Andrew, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Uh, this has been super cool to not only kind of dive through all of the different albums and CDs here uh, and Peter's music over the years, but to get a chance to talk to you about your contributions and, and all the things that you learned on this. It's been really neat talking to you. And I'm not joking. We will we will come back and do that episode on, on 80s rock and roll in Athens, Ohio, too. I'd love to do that. Yeah, I'll see Someday. how much I can remember. We'll get, <laughs> you and me both. We'll get a bunch of people in here to try to see if we can piece them together. In fact, on a side note for that, I got sucked in the other day into looking at. There's a we'll great, bring Chris Beaster. Right? Yeah, we'll bring Beaster in. And between all of us, you know, we can try to operate with a half a brain or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I saw a great thing on, the other day. I was digging around online um, looking at off topic, but related to old Athens stuff, looking at. Uh, posters and flyers and drawings, really intricate posters from Appalachian Lighthouse, which was the late '60s like hippie venue here. Uh, oh, okay. All like the kind of psych rock bands played. Um, 
And, you know, obviously I would love to hear recordings and things like that. And that's, that's exactly how projects like this start. I'm also aware, like somebody sees a few things and they're like, wait a minute. And then you end up talking to someone you don't know and getting to know a lot. more. Well, my mind's eye put together, um, I guess released a seven inch of Piccadilly circus, which was like an Athens based garage band from oh, man. seven or eight. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I, I haven't talked, been up there, talked to Charles in a while, but that sounds right up my alley. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Athens music scene really goes way back. It's not just since Jonathan Edwards, but not at all. Um, you know, Sammy K got his start here. Yep. My my dad, who is a civil engineering professor, we refer to him as their our most famous civil engineering alumnus. <laughs> That's a pretty good way to describe him. <laughs> well, yeah, which he did without you know actually doing, doing his, any uh, civil, civil engineering. engineering. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. We're going to send it off here with some more music and we'll talk about that in a second. But Andrew, thanks again for coming here. If you want to find out more about this project, and I highly suggest you do smogvale.com. And if you want to find out more about what we do in the Western Reserve, you can search on Aquabare and see previous episodes. And of course, you can always find us and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time. All right, rock it down. <laughs>